Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter, and that's right, Blue Sky. Thanks a lot, Cav, at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Blue Sky, at Scavendish. And my name is Wes Bowling. You can follow me on Twitter, Wes Bowling TN. I'm on Blue Sky. I've not been on long enough to remember my username, so just look me up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so since Wes introduced himself there, uh, it sounds like we're going to do something a little different today on the show because we are going to do something a little different today on the show. I don't think we've ever done this, where we have a an official guest host with us on the pod. Wes Bowling, of course, joining us, host of the Club and Country podcast, uh, as well as like a million other things in his life. Um, and so, Wes, we're going to talk soccer. We're going to talk how this team has evolved, how the coverage of this team has evolved now that they're multiple years into the MLS. We've got an entire season of Apple coverage to discuss. Uh, we've got playoff formats that have changed. There, you know, there's a totally different expectation in this city around this team. So we'll do a lot of that. But we're also, because I think, and this is a direct shot at a few other avid listeners of the pod, I think Wes is the best media critic of all the media members that aren't on lamestream sports per- per- permanently. So that's why I want to have you wow. on, Wes. I, I didn't know wow. if it was about the quality of my analysis or just the fact that you know, and you've called me out for being the guy that listens to the bitter end of every episode. I think it was, what, a month ago? <laughs> it's like the last 15 seconds of the show, and you were like, and for all of you still listening, Wes, and I texted you by like 11 a.m. that Friday. It's was like, guilty. You got um, me. <laughs> actually, this is exclusively a shot at Adam Vingan, uh, who I also know is uh, uh, an uh, has a gr- like Wes. What I love about your commentary on specifically Twitter, which we will discuss, is that you do just as good of commentary about media as you do about soccer. So I thought, why not just make you part of the show this week as a host? Uh, Adam doesn't tweet enough about the media. You know, he's got great thoughts, but he doesn't tweet about it. So therefore, you are, in fact, the best media analyst that's not a host of this show. That is why you're a host of the show this week. I, also, I tweet you, too often. So, yeah, that's uh, happy to do it. <laughs> also, you know a whole lot about Nashville SC, which is in the middle of a playoff run right now. So it just works out, you know. So great to have you here uh, on the pod. Now I'm going to put you to work first, first and foremost. Lamestream Sports, Wes Bowling, host of the Club and Country podcast on the 440 Sports Network, is brought to you by, don't screw up the burger joint here, Wes. Oh, do I do I scream it like Cav or do I whisper it like Braden? I'll go in between. Jaspers, Jaspers. It's brought to you by Jaspers. Good. Just as long as you don't say the one that sponsors your podcast. Not bad. Not bad at all. <laughs> I was pretty tempted, but no, I, I understand from listening to certain podcast hosts in town. There's a great game room. They might babysit your kids. I have a three year old. I'm not sure how that will work at this kids. point. Uh, uh, your three, no, three, three year olds actually about the right age that the game room starts to accept children unattended. Okay. Okay, uh, that's I'm gonna try my, it then. It's just my opinion. Um, if there's any lawyers over that there, is, that is just your opinion. That is not a stated policy of Jasper's. Please, for God's sakes, don't do this. Yeah, but, that would also not be my wife's opinion. I don't believe either. I don't the, think that we can get away with that. If you are sitting at a tall top in the bar, which is a great place to go sit and eat with your wife, spouse, significant other, you have a direct line of sight into a game room in which there is nothing that can be broken by a three-year-old. He can go in there. You can watch him. You can have eyes on him at all times. He can have fun. He can feel like he's having some independent playtime, which we all know is important at that age. And you and your wife can sit there. Your spouse can sit there and feel like you are almost, almost on a date. Almost. 
Almost. You know, there is the the thing that when you have a toddler and there's nothing around for them to break, they are often the one that ends up broken. Uh, <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna take the chance. We're gonna try this out and, yeah. and check out Jazz. We're more more of a other burger restaurant family. Yeah, 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 yeah. My podcast, but for this in this case, yeah, I think we gotta try it out. I think I think this is this is the They're... opportunity to do it. They're young. They re- rebound real fast. They're made of rubber bands <laughs> and, um, y- you know, like, like everything just heals so fast on those little buggers. It's ridiculous. I know. Well, uh, and it does. It, it matches the family vibe, too, honestly, of, of going and having something that as adults who used to go on dates, uh, we can have food that resembles date night food, but still have a, a place for kids to eat and enjoy and, and be low maintenance enough for them. So it really does strike that balance really well for a for a hashtag toddler dad. There we go. Go to Jasper's. Okay, so let's start with actual soccer before we get into media stuff. And and I just want to know, obviously, two ridiculously good chances. uh, Sam Surridge and Teal Bunbury both had chances to, I I don't know, just put the ball on the frame from within like, you know, 10 feet, 10 yards, I guess I should say, of the net. Um, They lose one nothing in game one, Nashville SC. They will have game two at Jodas Park, of course, coming up next Tuesday evening. Uh, the the question is is but they but they largely were dominated in that game. Orlando largely had possession for most of it. They had all the offensive zone possession. W- what are the chances? Give us some, give us some Nashville SC hope in game number two. I I think the hope comes from the fact that that the balls just bounced the wrong way against this Nashville team enough times. We we talk on club and country about the fact that this is a high variance team. You know they limit other teams' chances. Conversely, they limit their own, and so they set themselves up. For randomness and they've been punished by randomness guys so often this year I mean, you mentioned the two chances point blank chances for this team that sam surge and teal bunbury will tell you they should have buried well those are the two you're going to get and you're probably going to get just about as many at home maybe maybe a little bit more and so i think the hope is that the ball finally bounces your way and that the very the variance favors you uh, I, I think this team is going to have a great atmosphere. Uh, I think the manager is still the right manager. I think the players are largely still the right players. And as frustrating as the season has been, you're you're one touch away from evening this thing and then going to Orlando again, where, yeah, you always knew Nashville was going to get just a little bit outplayed, right? That That's what's going to happen when you concede as much possession as Nashville is okay with doing. It's about the counterattacks. And don't forget, Nashville countered its way to a 2 nothing win in Orlando earlier this season. From from the high of the League's Cup final, it has not been necessarily fun to be a Nashville SC fan here over these last couple of months. Would you be okay with like the high of that final being the best part of the season? Or do you think that do you think that like they, they need to win they need to win next Tuesday night? I mean, I think those are almost two different questions. I think they, they do need to win and they need to advance for the sake of progressing this club to the place the club wants, wants to get. I think whatever happens though, I, I don't think this is an MLS cup team this year. I just don't think they have the pieces or the mentality for it. And I think anything short of maybe a conference final or an MLS cup appearance, or of course a win means that league's cup is going to be the highlight of the year. I think that this team kind of is what it is right now, regardless of how far they advance. And the MLS cup playoffs are typically built around randomness, perhaps a bit less. So now when you have series in the first round, and so, you know, I, I think there's always the possibility they go a long way and we still get to the end of the season and say, you know, this really wasn't the year that, that it was probably supposed to be for this club. And they didn't take the step forward a lot of people wanted. And so I think League's Cup is going to be the highlight, having the eyes of the world on you because Messi was playing and, and being one kick, one save away, a keeper penalty kick saved away 
from beating Messi and winning the club's first trophy, I don't think you're going to to match that or top that unless this team goes to a final or, or wins a trophy. And I just don't think that's going to happen. So I think regardless of what happens Tuesday or, or perhaps in Orlando for a potential game three, League Cup was the highlight. And it's just a shame that again there, the ball just bounced against this team at the wrong time. So I had an aha moment watching the end of the first match against Orlando where I was like, I've kind of always been like, what are we doing with this format? Like what? Like I get it. More playoff games means more inventory for advertisers. And that's always going to be what, what every sport is trying to do. We're seeing baseball expand. Every round gets, gets larger and larger. We've added a playoff team in the NFL, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I had the aha moment where I was like, oh, I'm as a season ticket holder, I'm guaranteed a home playoff game. No matter what, if we, if you make it into the top uh, eight, you don't have to play. I guess you don't have to play in the eight, nine match. You're guaranteed a home playoff game. And I was like, oh, I had that moment where I go, okay, I got it. That now it makes sense. Even a team that gets bounced 2-0 in the first round, I'm still guaranteed as a season ticket holder a home match. Do you like the format? Do you think it changes? Do you think they add more series later on in the playoffs? I hope they don't add more because I think at that point it, it becomes a player safety and, and, and even a quality issue when you're just wearing these players out. But I do like the format. I won't say I love it. Because I do love the urgency of a, a one-game knockout round, but also I'm not often a fan of being punished by randomness. Again, I want the better teams to have a better chance to to move forward, so that we get higher quality matchups down the road. Now that probably doesn't help Nashville this year, but in in principle, I think MLS is always going to side with trying to grow the game, or of course, grow its own revenue in the long run over even doing something that is necessarily always equitable in the short run. And, you know, the series, obviously the main driver, as you said, is TV money filling up inventory for Apple TV, who I think has done a great job this year. And I'm sure we may get to that here in a little bit, uh, but I think, you know, in general, having these home playoff matches for everybody means that 25 to 30,000 fans are going to be at Yoda's yeah. park who wouldn't otherwise be there for a playoff atmosphere where you're, you're more likely to fall in love than going on a July Wednesday night, perhaps. And so I like it for that sake, because I'm kind of on board with that of, look, is it always the equitable solution or the traditional solution? No, but, but you know, it, more in soccer than in anything else, besides maybe women's college basketball, you know, you, you get these people coming together and saying, whatever it means for my team, let's grow this thing. Let's take it to a better place. And I think that should be the objective. It's just, again, probably not going to help Nashville this year. Well, but you actually reduce randomness and re and and make it more yeah. equitable the more matches you add because then the better the more matches you add the more likely the better team is to advance and therefore the more likely you get better like that's what makes football so right and the, and the NCAA yeah, tournament it, so weird if if we get if we get the top four seeds going through on both conferences or or three out of the, the top four seeds going through in both conferences I think MLS is going to look at this and be like we win. You know the yeah, the, the, right. the format the, the the format did it did its job, but I mean that that's what that's what I took away from it when I looked at it. Then then I realized it from like a season ticket holder standpoint, and we all know the revenue standpoint. But I looked at it and I said, no, the the more games you add, the more likely the best team is going to advance. Right, right, and 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 it's it's almost like fantasy sports. Like, do you want head to head or do you want rotisserie? Rotisserie means the the best team in the regular season is going to win the championship. And then you go to head to head and there's no telling what the hell's going to happen in, in a fantasy football league or any sport. head to head forever. Cause I'm always eliminated in baseball by like early July. Uh, but, uh, but <laughs> yeah, like, I think like there's, a a difference in, there's a difference in, in, you know, reasonable and equitable. I think, you know, when I say equitable, yeah. I don't mean do the best teams get the best chance to advance. Of course they do. I mean, you know, does a seven seed have basically a 50, 50 shot <laughs> of advancing in a one off. Uh, but but I would agree. I think it's going to you know enhance the quality of those latter round games. Uh, there's just such randomness in the playoffs in this league, and it helps smooth that out. And I think that's okay. Again, even though 
it really helps Nashville off the pitch a lot more than on the pitch this year. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about Messi, and I know Cav wants to ask about it, but uh, I and and the, and more of the League's Cup. But I, the Apple coverage to me is interesting. This week we've had a ton of Bally Sports streaming issues for a lot of fans across the entire country. Uh, they obviously RSNs. We've talked a lot about them on the show in general. They they are struggling financially. Uh, teams are looking for outs in those contracts in the NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL. Um, and there was a lot of questions about Apple in terms of how they, you know, hey, we're let's focus on growing the hardcore audience, knowing full well that we might not be appealing to a broader audience because it's going to be harder to get to our product. But you know what they have done? Every single game is streamed exactly perfectly in perfect HD, and I know exactly where to get it, and I know exactly how to find it. What is your evaluation of how Apple has handled its first season as the broadcast partner? As somebody who works for a small tire company who's never going to have a blimp or a sports arena, I think I've come <laughs> to terms with the fact that on our marketing side, how we tell the story is as important initially as the um, amplification of that and how many people are hearing it. And ultimately, you hope that the former leads to the latter. And I think how Apple TV has told this story in year one has been awesome, especially when you consider, guys, that this came together quickly. I mean, talent didn't know they were going to be doing this until toward the end of 2022, maybe even after that. You know, there was a lot of back and forth, and you saw these announcements coming out two weeks before the season of people saying, I've been chosen by Apple TV. So it came together quickly, and I think there was a lot of skepticism that it could come together well in year one, even among those who were optimistic in the long run. I think it's been awesome. And I think I have specific quibbles that I could I could throw out if you want to hear them. But I think in general, don't put the score of the match on the top of the screen when I'm going to find it in a replay. Sorry. You can turn that off, by the way, but it's hard to do. I actually got a message from from our good friend and Apple TV commentator, Tony Husband, when I was venting about that on Twitter. He's like, hey, just so you know, so he's the ultimate company man. But he's helping me out there. You can turn that off, but it's very annoying. Yes. Um, Tony has Tony Husband tech support <laughs> it <laughs> just call the british guy they're all smarter anyway right or at least they sound smarter in his case he actually that's is true as well. that's true but talent selection i think has been really good production quality has been superb i think they've also integrated it well into their other mls property so i'm a big listener of uh, of extra time radio they're kind of state state sanctioned uh podcasts of record uh <laughs> but it's really good and, and those guys are allowed to have opinions and they the talent kind of rotates between the two and integration of local radio you know i'm gonna say that even though nashville SE dumped me this year for my brother um, it is uh, it's outstanding to be able to turn him on or turn on any home radio uh, guys and listen, because I'm a big supporter of that. As good as these Apple TV folks are, there's so many local radio folks who were the local TV people and got bumped uh, or or who are trying to grow that side of the game. And I'm I, radio over TV any day, but especially when you can have Apple TV's visual production value paired with it. I have quibbles and we can talk about them if you want. I got some other issues. This is this is the place for quibbles. We want yep. to hear your quibbles. All right. So so below away. We want to we want to grow this sport, right? We want to grow this game. I think we gotta we gotta ask ourselves: Is the whip around show the only or the best way to put all eggs in that basket, and therefore play five six games at the same time, or can we spread that out a little bit throughout the day while also having good whip around coverage for kind of that prime time window of, of maybe two three four games? They've slotted all these game times for those who don't know at seven thirty local time, no matter what market you're in, and so from six thirty to eleven thirty, it's just MLS overdrive on Saturdays. And that means that the feature games are not getting the love sometimes that they could get otherwise. The West Coast games are always going to kind of be buried for folks on the East Coast. And when you have LAFC and, and LA Galaxy, who always want stars and a great club like Seattle, 
it just really limits you. So I think they need to spread that out a little bit. There are certain hosts to whom I'm also not personally drawn. Uh, I won't go into specifics there, but some studio hosts that I think there'll be natural rotation. I don't want anybody to lose their jobs, but I think there's some coaching that could be done for those who maybe aren't as experienced on that side of things. Big fan of Liam McHugh, though. That was a coup to get him in from hockey. And then the biggest one, guys, is this. If you have a whip around show of soccer, which is used to being done 45 minutes at a time without commercials, why are you putting in three commercial breaks during ongoing action? If you're going to put all these games in one slot <laughs> and then you're going to take two, three three-minute commercial breaks and take me away from what's happening at halftime, that's fine. But during the action, come on. Like you can easily work in some promotional reads, some, you know, sponsor the instant replays, do whatever you need to do to get some money out of this to maximize your revenue but not take us away from the game. So I think there are little wrinkles like that that, that need to need to be worked out. But by and large, man, I mean, those are such small quibbles compared to the big the big issue, which is it's been awesome. I, I do think the start times is an issue that my entire neighborhood considers because, and you should, I, I mean, I assume you've thought about this as well yeah. with a three-year-old. Yeah. My five-year-old, who is the soccer fan, who loves the game, who plays the game, it, it is hard to get her to a game at 7.30. It just is. I took her to the five o'clock one on decision day because it was five o'clock. The only other game that she got to now, we were fortunate that Hani Mukhtar scored a hat trick, but it was the <laughs> noon kickoff. She got to go yeah. to a noon kickoff and she got to go to the five. I cannot keep the five year old up until 10 p.m. No. It just it doesn't work. And so that to your point, maybe you have a premiere game or an undercard game at, at three or something. Then you kind of have maybe your your four or five games there. And then maybe you have an evening, uh, you know, uh, an MLS after dark window as well. But I, I agree. I think for kids that want to go to the sport physically. I, I think you need some earlier start times throughout the course of the year, for sure. Yeah, we've, we've not taken our three-year-old yet because every time we're free to do it, that's the issue. Uh, 7.30. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, make that make that the set to make it like NFL. Like, you have a set time where you usually play. 7.30 is fine for your usual time, but mix it up a little bit. I think that's absolutely the way to go. The, the production values, I think, this year have made it completely worth whatever whatever the, the siloing is of – uh, of the games. I mean, there are complaints that you can't find this on, uh, on ES on like ESPN or Fox, you know, beyond just like, I guess the one game that's on, that's on FS one every week, but my gosh. Yeah. Like we, we saw a lot of really bad television, particularly from the, from games that were produced by some of the, some of the RSNs. I mean, I'm just really horrific kind of really horrific camera work and 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 technical quality i'm interested in in if if you do what i do which is i'm willing to i'll tune into to some some folks i don't care about i'll I'll tune into a west coast game that i'm not as familiar with the rosters simply because man it looks great on my screen looks great on my screen the camera angles are great The, the 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 common you know the commentators are a step up um, because that I think to your point, they've done a really good job of vetting it. Have you have you experienced any of that? Yeah, absolutely. When you know there's going to be a certain consistent high quality standard, then you're much more willing to watch San Jose and Dallas at at nine thirty. Yeah, because you feel like you're there. You feel a bit more immersed in the action, and especially when again, maybe this is just me being the radio wonk. I can I can work in a radio broadcast and listen to you know to a different perspective, to a team perspective, and, and I toggle quite a bit between those two. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think, again, how you tell the story is going to increase ultimately your audience if you tell it the right way consistently. And I've, I've definitely seen that for sure. sure. 
per- perhaps the world's most valuable company is better at things <laughs> than Bally Sports. <laughs> and, but the, there was a, it was fun though. Conversely, Steve, I think if if production value is really good, I'm more inclined to tune in. Or if it's really bad, I'm more inclined to tune in to watch the car crash. <laughs> and, and there were certain among the MLS broadcasts, like family, I guess, or network. There were there were certain you know, clubs that you just kind of knew were going to put on something that was a little bit shoddy. And it was almost kind of fun to watch and see how that was going to be. Of course. <laughs> yep. Uh, and certain, certain commentators that again, they had their like catchphrases that it was just old. It was old and tired, but also kind of comforting at the same time. It was comfort yeah. food. Um, but um, yeah, I, mean, I think again, that doesn't serve the league ultimately. So to, to have the higher production quality has been outstanding and, and the consistency, I think, and how they're telling the story has been superb. How how has interest in the product in Nashville? You and Tim do a great job. You got a recap up right now of match one against Orlando uh, Club and Country podcast everywhere you get your podcast. Um, of course, uh, Club and Country is the website for if you want to cover Sullivan, listen, uh, read Sullivan's work there. What how, how has it evolved? How has it changed? How has the audience evolved and changed? How the questions you guys get a ton of mailbag questions. You guys do a great job interacting with your audience. What, how has it evolved through three years of being in Nashville? I think we've proven that you can have a thoughtful conversation and spur thoughtful dialogue that's not just about how do we feel about the game or who cares about this or, you know, should we fire the manager? Which, okay, that was a topic this week. Some are bringing up out of frustration. <laughs> but I think it shows that if you feed the audience, you know, good food, they're going to, they're going to, you know, God, this is a terrible metaphor. Regur- regurgitate good questions. I don't know. They're going to, they're going to be nourished and they're going to, and that's going to, rise all boats. And I think that's especially possible, of course, in the podcast space where you can be super specialized. And I'm not suggesting that that my brother at 104.5 in the morning show spend two hours a day on Nashville SC. But I do think there is a lesson there, uh, which is that regardless of, of the extent to which you talk about the thing, when you talk about it, don't just be surface. You can go deeper and not just when you are in a specialized medium like a podcast. I think you should be willing to challenge your audience and and they've challenged us more than we've challenged them. I think the mailbag is the best place and Twitter is still crucial for that to, to see that that challenge in place. You know, we so often will take the lazy way out. Honestly, we used to slot this highly efficient, highly tailored rundown. We do a heck of a lot of research every week, but often that research is guided by the questions we're getting from our audience. And I mean, you guys are both sending great ones. I mean, Steve, you, you've sent a couple novels to us that they're like, oh, this is great. Let's do it. Let's dig in. And I think, again, if, if you're willing to have those high quality, you know, high context conversations with people at our level or even at a at a more macro local media level. I think the audience will reward you with their loyalty, with their questions, with their appreciation and and you know, what I didn't expect is that we'd have a community built around this. Now is it a huge massive community that encompasses every soccer fan? Not yet, hopefully one day. But the community that is built, you know, it, it becomes a weekly conversation. And to the point that we're even getting pictures from the unnamed restaurant sponsor, uh, whenever folks go there uh, on Twitter, they're tagging us or, uh, you know, questions right after the match when we've not uh, prompted any. And I think that conversation's become really robust and rewarding. It has challenged me to see this club in a different light. I, I think it, so real fast. The, the regurgitation is not that terrible, by the way, uh, because <laughs> because I use the, I use the phrase nutritional content, no empty calories. Like yes. That's what that's what we want to provide on, on at, at this network. It's partly why we we wanted to work with you and Tim in the first place. But I think it's interesting. And, and Steve's not going to get this. You'll understand this, Wes. When you are beginning to serve your child real food, you, it, what happens is you have to give them something like 10, 12, 13, 15 times 
mashed up avocado, mashed up sweet, sweet potatoes, mashed up banana, whatever it is before eventually it hits and all of a sudden they love avocado and what <laughs> and what happens is is you you can take the easy way out and you can serve them th- the shit out of the jar and they'll eat that right away or you can work for it and and give them something 10 or 12 times and all of a sudden they're eating really healthy food because you've worked for it and i think not to use your regurgitation metaphor too much but i really do think that is what you're talking about if you continually serve people nutritional content and give them a chance to sort of taste it and then get to it at their their speed eventually you can have really complex conversations about stuff and then they become fans for the rest of their lives yeah and i want to give credit to this fan base as well because i think you know when we came along with the podcast in 2021 there was already a group of folks who were already so thoughtful and used to that substance because of some of the groundwork that was laid by some voices in this market and just because we have smart soccer fans here who have been watching premier league for you know, decades or, or at least a few years. And so I think what was great is we already had folks who had been fed that stuff and they fed each other then. They fed other members of the audience and created that expectation and gave that education uh, so that instead of having gatekeepers, like some are, will accuse soccer fans of being, you know, we had folks who were who were sharing in that substance. And again, we were challenged right off the bat. And if anything, the quality of the conversation maybe hasn't evolved so much as it is the number of people having that quality conversation has continued to grow. What I what I heard was that it took Braden ten times to make avo- uh, to make guacamole like taste really good, and then <laughs> okay, finally okay. after no. ten times you finally got it right where your kid would eat it. Well, That's what I heard. Wes, will you tell Steve that you do not serve like diced jalapenos to a like a nine month old? Okay, you just mash up the avocado. And you serve it to him. You know what? My seven year old now has exquisite food taste. She eats give very, him the, he- give him the she peppers, eats very healthy coward. food. She eats very actually they love salsa now, but but they 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 eat very healthy food because we worked hard. So shut your mouth back there. Non-parent, so, non-parent, quit giving us parenting advice, Uber. <laughs> so so Wes brought up something that I thought was really interesting. I want to take this in a different direction. Uh the 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 fire the coach question. Um and, and I think it and, and I think that comes from everybody knows exactly what you're getting from we'll 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 politely call it Gary Ball. Um, we, 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 you know, that it's going to, in the case of the Orlando game last week, concede possession, try to hit on the counter, uh, especially while you're on the road, you're going to be defensively solid. You're going to limit chances. Uh, and man, it's, it's not, it's not sexy to watch at times. And, and I'm, what I wonder, what I wonder for you as someone who talks about the team is sometimes, uh, sometimes the 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 sameness of how they play which is which can be their strength also does not give you much to talk about it, it can be it can be hard because it was like yeah it was another it was another solid defensive performance you know honey got honey got a couple of, lo- of really good looks at goal you know Sam either hit the shot, didn't hit the shot, whatever else, which is kind of a binary question. And but, then they lo- and then they lost on a penalty kick in the ninety second minute. Exactly. <laughs> and so, like, how uh, uh, in, in a different world would you welcome more variance? Would you welcome more uh, kind of chaos as something to talk about and something to kind of consider, or? Are you okay with the are you okay with the the sameness of 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 what we have right now? I, I'm I'm mostly okay with it. I mean, I think 
you just have to dig deeper sometimes for, for the differences in the nuggets. But I think because we have an audience that appreciates such nuance, you can you can find nuance in any contest and, and and explain the why behind something or talk about individual personnel. I think saying the the term sameness, I would agree. I mean, I think the approach is usually relatively similar. You're not gonna have Gary all of a sudden play six six forwards to start a match and be okay Ooh. with a six five result. That'd be that's, fun. That's one thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it would be great, but I wouldn't mind it. Let's let's be clear. But I think, you know, the other side of that is that that by by switching that up, then you really dramatically lower the floor for what this club could be. And and even if you might be raising the ceiling potentially as well, when you open the door to to more, you know, broad swings of results, I'd rather talk about a team that's largely succeeding and it has largely succeeded over the last four years and does so in a somewhat similar manner most nights. Than one that is, you know, inter Miami pre this year, where they just they suck most of the time because they're just trying to be too ambitious. Because then you, you lose you lose audience, you lose engagement, you you develop apathy over time, even if the team might be more entertaining to watch. So I think ideally, I'd like both. I like a team that's succeeding consistently while mixing up the tactics a bit or playing a little more exciting soccer at times. But I think we undersell the excitement of of a one nil win when it's beautifully executed and we still have individual players that we, you know, performances we can discuss. So I guess, you know, even if the, the plains of Kansas look the same, you dig deep enough, you're going to find oil, uh, you know, and, and um, I say that because I drove from Kansas all the way through Kansas to Colorado recently. <laughs> uh, I, I but there's, there's always something if you dig deep enough, I guess is what I'm saying. I, I think ultimately the, the question I think that's maybe more, and this is some of this is about the fans and expectations. It's going to be hard to argue that 2023 was not a step back in the progression of the club in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's less about this to me. It's less about the style of play and and more about trying to win a championship. And if we are evolving out of as a market with fans that can handle those types of nuanced, complex questions and conversations, that then I guess to me ultimately is have we reached a point as a market, as a group of fans of Nashville SC, where we can look at a season like this one and say, that's not good enough. It's not about yeah. the style. I don't care about the style of play ultimately. I want I, if you win one nothing all the time, people are going to be happy. And so to me, it's more about, well, no, this this team came into the season with aspirations to be top of the table and they barely made the playoffs. And now they're one game away from being eliminated earlier than they have been in the past, which means the club is going the wrong direction. And so I think that to me, that's more of of the question is, have we reached a point as a market where the fans are passionate enough and the group of fans is large enough to put pressure on the club to think seriously about those types of changes? Uh, Yeah, I I think, I think so. I think we have a a fan base that is vocal enough and is going to make their feelings known. I've always kind of balked at the idea that, you know, fans necessarily put pressure on a club other than, of course, ticket sales. That That's important. Revenue is important. But in terms of, you know, making the club all of a sudden think about what they need to do to succeed, I think that's what Mike Jacobs and Gary Smith are obsessing over every day. So I don't think it is going to cause a reevaluation of approach. Uh, but I, I do think it is fair to say that that this season has been a step back in many ways and, and a disappointment. And I, I think that I, I just think the club knows that as much as the fans do. And, and, you know, I think there is frustration because fans see a consistent approach to 
to roster spend and personnel acquisition, which is bringing in veterans, trying to find those pockets of value, not spending $15 million on a, on a striker that's a can't miss player. And they say, well, LA's doing it. Atlanta's doing it. You know, even smaller clubs have, have done this. Can we do that? But I think it's also important to contextualize the consistency that Nashville's had uh, with the lack of consistency that is rampant in Major League Soccer because it's built around parity and it's meant to be like the NFL, to punish teams that have been successful by challenging them year after year. And I think when you look at it that way, you can still say the season's not good enough. I, I by the way, wholeheartedly agree with you. But I think the step back maybe becomes smaller um, in comparison when you look at you know, a club like Seattle missing the playoffs last year after going to CONCACAF sure. Champions League. You know, you, like I think there are examples time after time of teams that take much bigger steps back than this. So I think fans should and, and, and can be in, of two minds. This wasn't good enough. But also, as long as we keep putting out a team that has this high of a floor, I mean, you know, even if the ceiling may not be quite as high, there's always a chance yeah. to sneak up when, when your floor is is as high as this club's is. That's not well, floors are not sexy. You want to look at the ceiling of the cathedral, not the floor. Although they but, oh, true, true. <laughs> although they have spent about what thirteen million dollars on two different strikers and haven't yeah, scored a whole lot of goals. Right, and that's the yeah. It's not just about ambition; it's about direction, right? And and I think they're still learning how no, to. I, I, I want to yeah. say I want to say personally, and I, I don't. I think Steve probably agrees with me. With this I, I don't think any conversation about firing Gary Smith this year is 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 reasonable. But I think we have reached a point as a franchise and a city that next year there is going to be pressure on the people in charge to win. That's it. And and you're a Tennessee you're a Tennessee alum. You you understand how this stuff works. You understand yeah. how this stuff works. Yeah, and and I think the thing I've learned as a Tennessee alum from from Philip Fulmer when I was on board with you, okay, it's probably time for a change. I was covering UT at that point in Knoxville's practice every day. Um, the question I ask now is, okay, who who else are you going to get? <laughs> you know, and and of course the global soccer ecosystem is is eons larger than than college football, where you probably have fifteen coaches really on a realistic list to replace the guy you just fired uh, at, at the highest level. You know, like Tennessee is or supposed to be at. But but even in soccer, you know, when your floor is so high, when you, hey, you remove that floor in, in an attempt to get a higher ceiling. Yep. You're disrupting a lot more than just a guy on the touchline. And so, I mean, yeah, I know we're not debating that today. We're all three kind of in lockstep, I'm sure, Steve, not to speak for you. But yeah, Gary's the guy and he's going to be the guy for the foreseeable future um, if this thing keeps going to the playoffs every year. Uh, yeah, I, I would just caution folks again. You you remove the floor and the yep. ceiling at the yep. same time, and it could go one of two ways. It often goes down, not up. Do you think uh, you've been in all you over the years? You've been in a bunch of production meetings with Gary. You've 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 had a fair amount of one on one conversation with him. Uh, and to to those who haven't to those who haven't talked to him, he's a nice guy. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. he's an he's an extremely nice guy. He's also extremely knowledgeable i mean when when you talk to him particularly about tactics or you talk to him about personnel or whatever else like there there is a there is a deep understanding of it and so you have a lot of respect for him does that make it harder to evaluate the kind of the 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 performance of the club because I, i find myself in this as well is that is that i i know the guy's a good coach and I like him a lot personally. Uh, and I try to, my, my criticism in a lot of time ends up getting wrapped up in the fact that, that those things are sometimes in conflict with some games that I think they should have won and, and some, Mm -hmm. and and some, and and an overall performance in a season that, that may be, that may not be where they should be. 
is that do you feel any of that or and and can you can you realistically come to a conclusion all right it's time it's a great question and it's not even just really about personal affinity for gary and i respect the heck out of the guy i i like him i'd consider him a I mean, he considered me a loose acquaintance. I'd consider him a friend uh, because of all the broadcast, you know, calls that we've spent together and the time. And he's he's just endlessly gracious with his time and insight. The biggest challenge for me is that whatever quibble I might have with a tactical decision, and I have a few from this Orlando match most recently, having talked with Gary so many times in the wake of tough losses or decisions that baffled me, he always has a good explanation for why he did what he did. He's also often quite humble, you know, privately and publicly about saying, hey, I missed the mark on this, or this wasn't quite the right the right move, and we know that now. But he at least has strong logic going in. And then I go to the place that I think every reporter who covers any team goes to, which is, look, I'm not the tactical expert here. I know a thing or two, but he knows more than I do. So if he had a reasonable you know, explanation for doing what he did, who am I to say, well, no, it was dumb. Maybe it just didn't work. So that's where I, Steve, come into the biggest conflict with myself is, I know that that Gary has strong rationale for every move he makes. He's the expert, but I need to be able to say, hey, you know, it, it's not even just tactical knowledge here. It's general approach that needs to adjust here. You need to be pushing for every forward to be on the pitch from the 70th minute on or earlier in Orlando versus doing what he did. And I think that's the hard part is criticizing not a guy I like. Uh, plenty of people I like who, you know, I'm willing to to criticize if they're making clearly wrong decisions, but because I know he's got a lot of rationale behind what he's doing. And I know that from having those those calls. So that's that is difficult. He's also quite colorful off the uh, off the oh, microphone. Yeah. <laughs> off, like, like all like all coaches in almost every sport, they are also almost always quite colorful away from the microphone. Uh, but so I, I don't know how to ask this and I because it's I, I, your job necess- as, as a as a reporter is not necessarily different than a play-by-play or a color analyst, of course. The job as a reporter, though, is to represent the fans. And if all the fans are, like, real pissed off about a coach, and this is not just Gary Smith or whatever, this is about anything, is to kind of be the voice and to ask the questions. Of course, none of us know as much about X, Y, and Z play as Josh Heupel or, you know, Andrew Burnett for the Preds or Gary Smith for for Nashville SC. But, but fans want results. And eventually, and so I, I guess maybe ultimately is, has Nashville evolved to a point where we are smart enough to understand those dynamics that you are talking about where like if, if they come back and they finish second or third in the East next year, we're all going to just be right back on, man, this dude's done a remarkable job with an expansion franchise to get him to the playoffs every single year. And, and the, and the story changes very quickly. So I just am curious if, if are there things that college football fans, NFL fans and NHL fans that who are new to the sport need to understand are there different dynamics at play when it comes to those types of things? Or is it exactly the same? Hey, the Titans are two and 11 in their last whatever. And I don't think Mike Vrabel's doing the good enough job. So I want him to change. I'm going to call every sports talk show and yell about how he should be fired. Like soccer fans have the right to do that too, right? Yeah. Oh, sure. They, they, they do. And they should. And you know, anybody wanting the firing of Gary Smith, I'm going to staunchly disagree and think it's way premature and unreasonable, but, but I sure, hope, sure, sure. That I they, but, but I certainly hope that they feel the freedom to, to exercise that. And I think what, you know, by the way, good, good luck getting through the screeners at uh, most Nashville sports radio. So <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> That's another conversation. I'd I'm like not, to talk about Nashville SC, huh? <laughs> I'm, I'm not a wholesale worshiper of the science of radio, Braden. I think every uh, science requires just a little art. We can talk about yeah, that if you want, like that. or like that. over, a, over a beer at Jasper's we can, we can chat about that perhaps if not today, but like yeah, it. I mean, I think, I think fans should certainly not feel 
gatekept by <laughs> a lack of tactical knowledge. I think it's important though to to look at process and not just product in a game like soccer that is so beholden to chance. I mean, how many times has Tim Sullivan per episode of club and country used the phrase small sample size. And, you know, in, in football, you've got on a CBS broadcast four hours to, to get something done uh, on, on the pitch, uh, on the pitch, what on the, on the field, you know, you, you know, in, in basketball, you know, it can be some randomness, but ultimately you've got 40 baskets being scored by each team, every game, give or take five or 10. And, you know, the bounce of the balls, you're not as beholden to it. In soccer, it is just such a, a sport built on randomness that you have to look at process as much as product. And you can't just say, hey, two and 11, fire everybody. You have to say, all right, what's going into this? You know, what are the reasons that we can attribute this to? Is it tactics? Is it roster spend? Is it, all right, look, you want to fire the manager. All right. If Sam Surridge hits the ball in the back of the net, all of a sudden you're praising the manager. If uh, Elliot Panico buries a penalty kick against Miami and this team has a trophy. Some people are calling the season a success, regardless of what's happened in MLS. Yeah. And so you're just so beholden to chance that makes it harder. Can can you quantify at all what the Leeds Cup and Messi, can, can you even quantify it at all for what it means to Nashville SC and to the soccer in this market? I mean, I, I hope that we can quantify it through individual relationships with the club, which again is more anecdotal than I guess, you know, quantifiable. I think ultimately, you know, the the run to the final was was a chance for more families, more more fans to get involved by, even if they knew nothing about what League's Cup was. Show up at Joe, and I tell my friends this: who don't give a crap about soccer. You never have to come with me to Fleet Street to Jasper's to watch Arsenal on a on a Saturday. Jasper's but, but isn't open at that Park. time. It's okay. <laughs> uh, fair enough. But but come to Jodas Park and experience it, and you can take it in at whatever level you want to take it in, and and you're going to like it. And so to that extent, more people did that, and this became the place to be for for a week, kind of like it was when Jodas Park first opened last year. So uh, long term quantifiable impact, I don't know, um, but I think it's gonna it's gonna feed the hunger for a lot of folks who might not otherwise have gone, and I think that's that's great impact. I, I've got a I, I've got a non soccer non kind of media here question. I want to talk. Can I ask? Can I ask one more SC question? Then we can move on. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. How can Nashville SC as an entity do a better job of building its brand in the community? Open itself up. Um, be ready to be criticized and build relationships anyway. And I think um, right now this is a club that is deeply hungry for impact. And I think we we mentioned this, I think, a lot, the, the difference between the Preds and the Titans there for a bit. And I think that's evolved a bit. But the Titans were, we're the NFL. You're lucky to be covering us. Criticize us all you want. You know, that's fine. We're big enough. We can take it. The Preds, perhaps more sensitive to criticism, uh, but also hungry and open to letting people in. And yeah. whether it's, you know, smaller, I, I, I think, I mean, maybe that's just impression, <laughs> but I think, you know, they've, they've worked with some of those smaller publications and gotten them in. And I've, you know, look, I, I've, I've never been a mainstream media guy uh, for, for this club besides when I was, you know, their broadcaster, I guess, I guess it's somewhat mainstream, but I think, you know, they could, they could be a little more proactive at times, I think in feeding the market, the stories that this club has when you have you know, a dozen different uh, countries represented on your roster or something close to that. You've got, you know, diversity of stories and of people. And I think feeding, you know, the non-soccer fan, perhaps a little more human interest to get them in the door, you know, offering up players pretty aggressively for interview, the manager for interview beyond just the, the flagship partners. I think that's the way to, to grow this thing, to realize, you know, Ian Air comes from Liverpool where, 
again, people are dying to cover his club and get to matches. And I think he understands now very well. This is not that <laughs> this is not, <laughs> this is, this is a place where you've got to go out and, and reach people. It, it works a different muscle for him and for this club. And I think most of the time they get that really right. But there are times when they could be a little more aggressive and proactive and saying, look, we all come from markets where soccer is the privileged sport. It's not here. We got to go. We got to go after our people. And I think whether it's media relationships, whether it's fan relationships, they've grown in that area and I think they can continue to do so. Does it hurt the sport that the playoff and the last few weeks happen right as football starts? Yeah. But what else are you going to do? I mean, I think I don't know how else. There's almost no place to hide on the calendar unless you unless you I, I was thinking about this earlier. Like what 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 would happen? Because it seems like when leagues have hit. And I was wondering about when leagues, like what leagues cup would be up against. And and there was a bunch of like football starting up at the time uh, and, and kind of attention in other places. But like, if you were a January through August kind of league and you ended there right before football started now, there were, there are a host of problems with that. Like, would you want to play a, you, would you want to play a game in Minnesota in February? No. Um, Unless you're using orange balls and everybody's, you know, wearing parkas. I mean, Mon- Montreal but, in April is not that much different. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but yeah. to your point, but to your point, like I took, I took my daughter to the, to, to decision day and I look at my buddy and his kid and I'm like, this is the most relaxed it's ever been getting into Geodas Park. It was super yeah. relaxed. It certainly was not 28,000. There's no chance at that, but it was very relaxed because traffic wasn't bad. It was a Saturday evening at five o'clock. Guess what was also going on? The Tennessee Alabama game was happening. And, and like we we rolled in and we like got easy parking. We got easy concessions. We got like it was very relaxed. And I was like, this has got to be because college football is taking place today. And I don't know what you do about it, um, but it has to be something that people are aware of, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, logistically, you you move from, say, a January to August to go with your example, Steve, you know, the climax of the league hits, you know, at a time when there's probably more attention directly on soccer because it's only baseball you're competing with, but you're dealing with international transfer windows that make that more challenging. It, you know, international tournaments, you know, if the World Cup's going on, your best players are out during the playoffs. You know, I think there's a lot of challenge there that's just kind of impossible to address with any other kind of schedule. And so I think you just have to to carve out your niche and be willing to accept that, that the hottest point of the season is going to be the League's Cup time of year. It's going to be the, the summer of soccer. Get as many home games as you can in, yeah. in June through August and blow that thing out. And that's the, that's the brilliance of the League's Cup, I think. There are a lot of brilliant strokes there that I really enjoyed, but it's that that's when the eyeballs are really on you. You know, ending around Labor Day weekend, right as football starting. I think it's really smart and kind of accomplishes both goals of having meaningful soccer that time of year, getting people in the door, but still protecting some of the other things that you have to do to match the international calendar a little bit. Play, playoff matches on Tuesday nights in the fall. Not a bad idea. No, not, not a bad idea. Not at all. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to get to a non uh, a non sports non soccer sort of question here, um, and specifically about your gig, Wes, um, because you guys do some really interesting stuff. Uh, if you haven't, if you don't follow, uh, I follow a lot of Instagram feeds just because like something inst- something interesting pops up in there. I've got, got like some different brands of some different sort of people in there that just weird stuff. It's, I always like to be surprised by my Instagram feed. Uh, the Nokian feed is actually really interesting because it's because you guys have like a lot of I mean, it's like a lot of times it's like looking at like a like a travel channel or something because you have <laughs> you've got you've got these, you know, there's this product stuff that in like all these sort of exotic places and you guys do a bunch of events. You 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 reference kind of like driving to Colorado. 
I'm really interested in what you said about you guys are not as big as, you know, an unnamed tire uh, company, which may have its uh, location and may have its headquarters downtown. Um, Like, how do you, which is empty by the way. Yeah. (laughs) How do you guys try to find people and, and find affinity and find uh, uh, customers with stories? We have to be niche and we have to be premium in the way we do it. I think I was actually just talking for a, a work podcast that I host. Yes, a tire uh, industry podcast. I know all your listeners are going to turn this off and go listen right away because it's so exciting. But <laughs> but I was talking about the importance of of strong brand and how we how we lead those conversations. And I think there's actually some relevance to what Major League Soccer needs to do. You know, we're never going to be, I'll say it, Bridgestone. I can say it because they're not really a direct market share competitor of ours. Or, you know, we don't have a Goodyear blimp or a Bridgestone arena or we're not on F1 vehicles. And so we do have to be more targeted and more niche. And what we do, honestly, is we follow the needs of our uh, of our customers. And by customers, I mean our dealers, you know, rather than our consumers. You know, what do our dealers need in their markets? Well, mostly they have ski resorts nearby. So we have a, a, a continental partnership with powder resorts that, you know, ski resorts throughout the country. We engage in those target markets and areas. I'm in Denver a good bit doing interviews on local TV there, trying to drive some engagement around those target markets. So being targeted in, in geography, but also in the type of consumer you need. We had somebody tell us once a tire dealer. They said, "You're the you're the tire company that only the tire dealers know about." Like, what is that a compliment or an insult? <laughs> Thanks. Uh, it's kind of like I said, "Wow, you you know you used to be a lot you know uglier." Like, all right, thanks. I guess I've gotten prettier. Uh, but I think we there, there's certain cachet that comes with that. That you know we're we're the brand that's really cool, that's really niche and unique, and so we can tell stories in a unique way with a marketing budget that is probably literally one one hundredth of what Bridgestone has to spend on marketing, and we have eight people on our marketing team for all of North America. So uh, that makes it fun because there's consistency in how we tell the story. So we only have eight storytellers, really. Uh, and so we can we zero in and, and do things like small, you know, uh, classic car rallies in the mountains of Oregon, like I did a couple of weeks ago, or taking a small group of brand ambassadors up to the Arctic Circle and, you know, tooling around on ice tracks. And we can have a little more fun and do it differently. And that almost is an asset, not a drawback then that we have less money because we can be more agile and targeted. And uh, I think, again, Major League Soccer, to take it back to the topic, can learn a little bit from that, that, look, I don't think they ever think they'll be the NFL. How do you zero in on that target consumer in a better way than ever before? Tell that story more effectively than ever before and then find unique, you know, kind of guerrilla ways to tell it in a way that's going to be riskier and perhaps more appealing to that target than what the NFL or NBA are ever going to do. Well, Tim Cook, Tim Cook convincing uh, Messi to come to America was a good start. Um, so, let, let, first of all, tell everybody your official title because I don't think throughout that entire conversation, yeah, if people, if people don't know that you, that you have another job uh, with Nokia and Tires, tell everybody your official title for for that company and what you guys do. Sure. So I'm the senior manager of communications and content in North America for Nokia and Tires. So work from home here out of Nashville. Uh, and doing a couple things. First, media relationships. So, so building bridges with journalists who are giving us earned coverage for our stories. Uh, took the New York Times to our new Romania factory earlier this year, and, and went around Hungary and into Helsinki a little bit with her as well in Finland, where we're based globally. And uh, so that's part of it. And then managing brand ambassador relationships, and then building our content plan kind of around both of those pillars. So, you know, where do we have brand ambassadors talking about us? Where do we have media talking about us? How can we tell our own story? or leverage our dealers to do that. So it's fun because it does tie in a lot with my former work in in broadcasting full-time and still with the part-time work that I do, both from a skill set standpoint, but also strategically. It kind of marries that pretty well. It's a lot of fun. 
All right. I want you to, because obviously Twitter's turned into a sewer. Many brands, including Jasper, by the way, are no longer on, on the application. Um, Cavs convinced me to, to, to sort of explore Blue Sky because it's basically a private Twitter in 2011, which I find to be quite <laughs> comfortable. Um, yeah. But but I, I guess from a brand standpoint, uh, what work through the different platforms for us in co- sort of Cliff Notes version and say like, all right, here's the strategy around this platform. And, and I want you to prioritize how you value them as a senior director of communications and marketing. Like how, how do you prioritize the all the different touch points for consumers out there? Because I, I still don't think fully people understand what's valuable and what's not. Yeah, it's a little bit bespoke to our company too because of the way we tell stories, but Instagram is is number 1 and it has been number 1 now passing Facebook for for several years because of the opportunity to tell a little more premium feeling content, I guess, is stories. You know, that we we work with a lot of influencers on those short minute minute and a half style reels and I even hate the term influencers. Ambassadors I think is a better term. Um, because influencers, well, rightfully has a has a pretty negative connotation. But as we're building these longer term relationships with these ambassadors, Instagram is the best place for them. I think to let their personalities breathe a little bit in a way that matches our brand personality and gives that kind of Scandinavian premium feel. Facebook is next, um, primarily because a lot of our tire dealers are on Facebook a little more than, than Instagram. And so they're sharing our content there and amplifying that. And Facebook still has the numbers, I, I would assume, I think, that, that Instagram doesn't. Uh, I'm not the person who executes our social media, just kind of guiding that so she, so she would know more. But then Twitter is really pretty secondary at this point. And it always has been for us. I mean, if we get a couple of retweets, there's a guarantee one of them was me personally on my personal account. <laughs> uh, so every week our social media manager, who's awesome, reports back on our metrics. And I'm like, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's great. Uh, there's still a play there. But I think that play is, is you know, diminished a little bit. And, you know, it's still kind of the heart of what we do at Club and Country because we built a, an engaged community there. We don't have that for our brand. We never will. Uh, people not really going to talk tires there a whole lot. So and, and Blue Sky, we'll see what happens. We're not on there yet. Uh, I'm on there personally to kind of learn a little bit. But but I think there is a chance that as news organizations get on there in particular, um, that and, and reporters and, and Steve, really glad to see you there now. And I think that's going to become that forum for people like me who I hadn't left X or Twitter or whatever Jamie Holland wants to call it, you know, Elon Sewer. Uh, <laughs> Because I think it is still a valuable news source for me. I've deleted it from my phone five times over the last two years. And then I find myself just refreshing like the New York Times homepage or now the Nashville Banner homepage. And, and I'm like, where do I go for the real time stuff? As Twitter becomes less reliable there, it's going to become less important even than it already is for our brand because people aren't going there for the main reason they went there in the first place. Ironically, I think I think the only thing it's good for now is sports Twitter. Like there's still mm-hmm. sort of some mm-hmm. engagement and 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 activity around sporting events. Uh, and it's it, it could still sort of work as a second screen there. But man, I mean, if if nothing else, the last month of the of the uh the the uh problems, conflict you know, conflict in the Middle East. <laughs> there you problems go. problems in, in the Middle East uh have taught us is yeah. that I mean it is not necessarily a reliable source of information unless you're going to like, as you said, kind of like one of those direct publishers. And, yeah. And Twitter has to be a place you take less seriously than you ever have to enjoy it. I think for leisure, be there for the games and, and 
yeah, develop other news sources. And that's why I get Vault, them so thankful. Vault Twitter still entertaining. They were a cesspool before Twitter was. That's that's true. That's true. <laughs> well, I, honestly, I think Twitter has evolved into the message board. That's all it is. It's it's become the message board. The message board, yeah. all all this stuff that's on Twitter publicly was private in like 2005 yeah. on all the message boards. It's the now wretched just wretched hive of villainy now, and scum. But, but like per- personally, I'm kind of interested in what both of you have to say about this because I do think this last couple of since October 7th and, and the Hamas attack on on Israel, since all of that has happened, num- number one, I've told folks like you don't have to post. OK, you, you just don't have to inject your your own life into this story that has nothing to do with you personally, necessarily a half a world away. You don't have to post because when you do, you make it about you. But number two, if you see something, especially on Twitter, that automatically validates your own opinion, I would take a second to reevaluate that. Because you just you're probably getting something fed to you that already the algorithm knows that you like. And so therefore, be careful with that. Um, and I'm curious what I don't know, you know, Steve, you maybe have a better opinion on this, but I'm curious about both of your experiences because Wes, you've already alluded to it. I think what's happening through this conflict is people are going back to traditional media sources. People are like, no, I just watch CNN now. No, I just read the New York Times because that you BBC, Al Jazeera, like people are going to the big I, I took a I, I, I literally took out a subscription to Heretz, which is the the yeah. big English language uh, Israeli paper. So, in a roundabout way, Elon Musk, friend of mainstream media, <laughs> he's not a friend to himself, that's for sure. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but, 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 but you guys see, but you guys clearly are both experiencing the same thing I am, which is a return to the trusted editorial boards of these of these entities, right? So the question is, you know. Yeah, yes, of course. And I am. I think many are. Is the volume there sufficient to create incentives then for yeah. for Twitter to reform? Or or will Elon, Elon even listen to that? Or or will it create uh, he's turning it into a dating rewards? service? He said he said this the other day. Yeah. No, no. He, 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 this is not a to me, this is like but, so I, I've talked about artifact a lot. And all yeah. artifact all artifact is it's it's created originally by the guy who launched Instagram and then sold it and said Instagram has no soul anymore. Um, because he he designed it, but but he's launched Inst- Artifact, which is essentially an aggregation platform of all the quote unquote mainstream companies that we now are going back to because we can't trust anything we see on Twitter. If it, if that if that sentence made any sense, yeah. Well, I'm I'm hoping it is a situation. I it was a kind of a two part. Like, is it going to incentivize Twitter to change? Probably not. Will it be enough to reward these legacy media organizations and give them more resources to do what they need to do? I hope so. I think local coverage is still maybe too far gone at this point because the hedge funds controlling all that at this point. But but yeah, I think when you look at an artifact being a a, a Instagram, if you will, like a pre you know Instagram what it used to be when blue skies a printer pre Twitter operational terms there we can work through those printer. I like Twitter, it. I, I, don't, I don't. I don't. But I, I don't like Skeet either, which is, I guess, a repost of. Are you going to go toot? Are you going to go toot some? You're going to go toot some thoughts? Are you, are you preding? I again, we're going to work on the terms, but I do love that. I think you know the Athletic has had its own issues, a number of them, since trying to be what it strove to be, but it kind of followed that same model of like get out of the content aggregation sphere and get back to original stories. And since then, it kind of has gone into a little bit of content aggregation. It's kind of it's it's dumbed down to meet, and and so we're always calibrating to meet the needs of the audience. But but again, I hate to just suck up to Steve here. Uh, but but what you're doing with the Nashville banner to me, you're leading that conversation. You're like, we're not, and, and I think you're seeing demand for it. I hope you are. I know I'm I'm a subscriber and a donor and all that. But but I think 
I hope that other outlets are rewarded by trying to get back to the purpose of all of this and find those appealing nuggets uh, versus dumbing themselves down, as I know you will never do. And I hope, uh, you know, The Athletic learns from that and others learn that you, if, you, if you're looking for the least common denominator, you're going to always sell yourself short because you're going to bastardize what you came out there to do. I think ultimately, um, yeah, and Steve gets all of his ideas, of course, from one of my other shows. It's totally fine. Um, <laughs> what 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 I think is, and I think AI. I'm I'm curious about both of your thoughts on this, and we can wrap up this very lengthy and interesting conversation like this. But I, I've heard I've heard a lot of smart folks talk about AI and the future of AI and the influence it has on 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 our day to day lives. And we're, you know, nobody saw the smartphone coming. I want to say AT and T estimated there'd be nine hundred thousand smartphones. Eh, a little <laughs> off on that. Um, and so I, I think the 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 smart folks about AI are saying every one of us is going to have like an AI assistant. And to the to your point, Wes, about the athletic, and I think at least in their original form, was if you pay the five dollars, we're not going to care about clicks as much. If you pay the five dollars, we're going to try to give you premium stuff. If you pay the five dollars, we'll give you something better. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen with AI is that we are going to get an AI personal assistant that, assistant that is free. And that orders your groceries for you and orders when you need toilet paper and knows when the house needs to pay the electrical bill and all that stuff that does actually make your life better. But you're going to give up every ounce of privacy and every ounce of personal freedom. But if you pay the $8 for the better version of the AI, you're probably going to get something that truly does make your life better. And so I don't I don't know what you guys I don't know if that makes any sense to either of you guys. I, I think I'm going to end up being. Um, my version of my grandparents with with AI. <laughs> I already have been proven somewhat right, I think, with crypto and some of that stuff where I was like, you know what? I'm committed to never understanding this fully. <laughs> I'm committed to being the codger to say, why do you need AI? At the same time, of course, that's not practical for my line of work where I need to understand it and where it can help me generate content and and do some of the the boilerplate things. I think you're probably right. I think you know, ultimately they're going to find a way to, I don't know who even they is, but they're going to find a way to monetize this and, and, you know, try to scale the effectiveness based on how much you're investing. And I'm sure it'll, it'll follow economic laws like everything else. And it'll be a stupid version of AI that does all the stupid stuff. Um, and I'm not looking forward to that version of it. And that's the one I'll rail against when my son says, man, you're old. But there is a the, massive, but... there's a massive fight that's coming among media organizations about whether or not to allow their content to be opted into, uh, to machines that are scraping for, for AI reasons. Uh, and you go back and forth between, do you want trusted content in there or, or do you not want trusted content in there? Because we've seen, and some, like some of the, like, like some of the early, uh, early AI that, that just kind of grabs grabs anything you know it, there's not it, it said it, it is not chat gpt said the election was stolen just like last week <laughs> yeah it's yeah. just it's or regurgitating or ourselves whatever. back to us it's just it's just giving <laughs> ourselves exactly back to, like, it's, yeah and and so and so publishers are publishers are really strong I, i'm part of a group of small publishers that is is asking this question right now is like you know do we 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 lost this to google news 20 years ago when they started when they started just linking linking off to us and not and and not compensating for giving them an incredible amount of value to to their service should we be doing the same thing for for ai for ai bots and i i think those conversations particularly over the next couple of years the the white house just uh issued uh kind of some some preliminary guidelines on ai this week that i think are going to kind of like drive the discussion it is it is a 
you should pay attention to this right now mm-hmm. because because this is this is the formative time. And, and there's going to be a lot of decisions that are made here, particularly in the next couple of years, that are going to shape things for a long time to come. We, we, and as a consumer of that versus somebody who's on kind of the planning thinking and what I want to understand, what I, what I hope for is how do we get an AI that reflects, you know, the best of us and calls the best information versus the, the crap. <laughs> so I, yeah. I hope that that's what results. And I, I'd pay for, honestly, I would, I would invest in that individually if I knew it was going to increase the quality of my information, but as long as there's a version out there that's doing what Twitter is doing now and amplifying whatever your feedback loop is you want for yourself, I don't know how we advance as a society necessarily, even as publications like yours hopefully do benefit from from some version of that. I, I think that's ultimately what the premium AI personal assistant will do is it will it will curate that experience for you and make it quality because you paid for it. I and hope so. And if you're not going to pay for it, you ain't gonna get that shit. <laughs> that's, that's 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 it's amazing how that it's amazing how that works. And to you get to y'all's questions about sort of like uh, the only way Congress can really get involved in any of this stuff is is to hit them where it hurts, which is the privacy data stuff, Twitter and all these other places. The only place that we can actually create ethical standards and boundaries is going to be with privacy data, which is where they make all their money. So um, I, I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, this conversation changed. Uh, Wes, is there going to be a third match in the first round of Nashville SC Orlando City? Yes. All right. I think, all right. I think Nashville is tough enough. Uh, at some point, the ball's got to bounce their way. I mean, they, they went to Orlando and had more expected goals than Orlando by just a little bit. So I think they can out, outplay Orlando at home. I think desperation will kick in. And finally, the veteran presence this club's built itself around is going to come through. So, yes, one nothing Nashville at home. It's going to go to Orlando, and it's going to be tight down there. Game winner from Dax McCarty. All right. Um, appreciate you, Wes, coming on to the show. We do appreciate it. Uh, always a pleasure. Nokian Tires, great tire company. Go check them out. Jaspers, of course. Uh, make sure you, although I guess you don't need a whole lot of snow tires here in Tennessee, but if you do, Hey, uh, we, go, make, go we, hey we have a factory in Dayton, Tennessee, making all season tires. I have there, them on my car. They're great. There we go. I have, a, I have an important recommendation, and I want to take advantage of the fact that Wes is here mm. about this okay. recommendation. Okay. Have you watched the Beckham documentary yet on Netflix? My wife has. She was motivated by very different reasons than I will be when I watch it. I've not yet, but I plan to. <laughs> Is that the one where the cover image looks like they're both like like 19 years old or something? Is that, uh, is that the right there's, documentary there's a lot, of? There, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of old. There, there's a lot of old footage okay. and, and, and photos in there. Um, it is fantastic. Wow. Uh, you will, as a soccer fan, you will enjoy it. Um, you will, I will not, I, I found myself because, uh, because of those teams and I hate man United. I really hate them. And I like, I hate Same. Roy Keane and I hate like, like all of this stuff. Um, but the, it is, it is fantastic to be, to watch what a player Beckham was, particularly in the late nineties, early aughts, um, before you know before he went to real madrid and kind of got sidelined and 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 whatever else but but they spend a lot of time on him on his england career on kind of the red card uh at the at the 98 world cup and you see the full force of the tabloids and of uh and of kind of england fan anger against him uh, which I think was like partially motivating for that 99 man U team that won the treble and 
they they had a very much kind of like us against the world uh feeling in that locker room uh which is something that i never had never kind of experienced over here as an american fan kind of watching those teams but my gosh there is and and beckham participated in it so obviously it's very favorable towards him but it is there's there's so much great old footage to watch in there it is it is one of the most enjoyable things i've watched uh jen watched it with me uh loved every single bit of it even you know and she's not a huge soccer fan uh liked the soccer stuff but loved kind of like how into the weeds they got with how big of a phenomenon beckham marrying a spice girl was there's there are there's some <laughs> great behind the scenes stuff from that wedding um some video and pictures that you're just like what the what the hell were they thinking i thought stuff. it's I, great i thought it is two, great i thought the 2002 sports comedy drama bend it like beckham was in fact a documentary but i guess it was not mm. in fact a documentary <laughs> it was not uh, did you know it's the highest grossing sports film ever i did not know that i just was reading about it on i'm the, not surprised what bend it like beckham is yes number one 77 77 million dollars at the height of his powers sports and reach. quotes how about 85% on Rotten Tomatoes? This is all just research I've done well, in the I last mean, 30 seconds. It's an entertaining <laughs> play. I mean, it's it's not that it's not an entertaining I anyway, thought it was a go, I thought it was a documentary. Catch, <laughs> it was not. Go catch the go catch the Beckham documentary. It's it's four parts. It's very entertaining. Um right. they spent a lot of time at a very plush country house that the Beckhams live in no. now out in the English countryside that it is just like wow. It, Rich people really do live different than you and I. Uh, it is, it is, it is pretty amazing. But but ring, but ring the bell well, for well the worth, butler. Well worth checking out. Yeah, uh, Wes, thank you so much. Everybody, please listen to Club and Country podcast here. Uh, you guys cover so much stuff, not just in the season, off the season, uh, out of season as well. So make sure you stay tuned with that guy with with you guys, you and Tim Sullivan. Tim Sullivan's website, clubcountryusa.com. Make sure you check out that for all the latest coverage of the playoffs as well. Uh, so there you go, Wes. Thank you so much for joining us. We really do appreciate it. For Steve Cavendish, I am Braden Gall. Rate, review, subscribe. Go to Jaspers. Thank you for listening. This has been Lamestream Sports on the 440 Sports Network. <laughs>